You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students on WWSU 106.9 FM, Dayton's Right Choice, and WYSO 91.3 FM, Public Radio for the Miami Valley. Coming up on today's episode... We still find pockets of children that are not immunized, and so that's the unfinished agenda, to really target uh, that group of children, which ends up being almost a third of all children in Latin America and the Caribbean that are not adequately covered with immunization services. That was Dr. John Andrus, Deputy Director of the Pan American Health Organization. Dr. Andrus joins us for the second time today on Radio Rounds to discuss the critical importance of widespread vaccination programs to both global health and economics, as well as the excitement surrounding tomorrow's UN Summit on Noncommunicable Diseases. All that and much more on Radio Rounds right now. Welcome to Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everybody. My name is John Corker. And I'm Lakshman Swamy. We're glad you could all join us today, whether you're listening on the radio or through our iTunes podcast sometime in the future. For those of you new to the program, this is Radio Rounds, an entirely medical student-hosted radio show that aims to showcase the qualities of humanism and empathy in medicine. This is a show for everyone, and we hope to provide some insight into the medical profession for you today. And especially for our newest listeners, just by means of brief introduction, my name is John Corker, and I'm a third-year medical student, having just started my first clinical rotation in obstetrics and gynecology last week. And I'm Lakshman Swamy. I'm also a third-year medical student, and I'm on my pediatrics rotation right now. And now we want to talk about our main topic for today, namely the critical importance of widespread vaccination programs to both global health and economics, uh, as well as the details surrounding tomorrow's UN Summit on Noncommunicable Diseases to be held in New York City. Today's guest is proof positive that immunizations can, in fact, effectively eradicate disease from large portions of our planet. Dr. Andrus is credited for his work in eradicating polio in the Americas and Southeast Asia, but as he and his colleagues in public health continue this work, he keeps running into a waning public perception of the importance of this work and, and consequent decrease in funding. Hitting close to home, pertussis, or, or whooping cough as many of our listeners may know it, uh, has made a comeback right here in the United States, in California to be exact, following legislative cuts in the immunization funding. And there have been threats on the federal level to follow suit, cutting more funding. Nowadays, for our generation, non-communicable diseases such as diabetes and heart disease are really our generation's global epidemic. And tomorrow, for only the second time in history since the 2001 summit on AIDS, the entire world is getting together to create action steps to curb the spread of major disease. So on to our guests for the day. Dr. John Andrus is the Deputy Director of the Pan American Health Organization, a department of the World Health Organization. A family medicine doctor, he received the Distinguished Service Medal, the highest award of the United States Public Health Service for his leadership in working to eradicate polio in the Americas and Southeast Asia. We started off by asking about the current focus of Dr. Andrus's work at PAHO. In terms of the sort of the short-term challenges we're facing. Um, I look at it in terms of finishing the unfinished agenda. Uh, The unfinished agenda for us at the Pan American Health Organization, in particular in the area of work that 
of my expertise, uh, immunization, um, basically bringing um, in preventive services, uh, including vaccines, to children and families who need them most. Uh, we've been very fortunate to have been successful with polio eradication in the Americas, as well as the eradication of measles, rubella, and congenital rubella syndrome. But when we look at these successes and we look at cover, coverage rates, particularly at the municipal level, the lower, the community level, we still find pockets of children that are not immunized. And so that's the unfinished agenda to really target uh, that group of children, which ends up being almost a third of all children in Latin America and the Caribbean that are not adequately covered with immunization services. That's our challenge, meet the unfinished agenda while facing the future to introduce those new, more expensive, life-saving vaccines for those children who need them most. So I, I think in a capsule, that's my take on the immediate challenges, and there's certainly a lot more besides immunization, but that's, that's my particular professional focus and expertise. And really an excellent example of that unfinished agenda is where we are with vaccinating um, children with a very good vaccine, Haemophilus influenza type B. This is a bacteria that causes meningitis and septicemia, pneumonia in children. It was introduced in the United States some 10, 15 years ago, uh, more recently in Latin America and the Caribbean. Our experience shows that in countries where there is good surveillance, like the U.S. and Canada, there's excellent documentation when you achieve 90% coverage or so, you virtually eliminate this disease. There are excellent graphics from CDC showing the, U, U, the U.S. Uh, experience. Now, our Latin countries are reporting 90% coverage, but the surveillance of this disease is challenging because the bacteria is difficult to culture. But if we had just a little more support, I believe we could document that many of the countries, if not all, have eliminated this disease. So I really see that as an unfinished agenda because if we can document that. What better information to share with Africa or India where these vaccines have not been introduced to show the policymakers, here's the opportunity to eliminate disease with good coverage that is killing your children. The, the recently proposed um, budget by the Republicans in Congress included major cuts uh, to vaccination programs across the country. Um, now, obviously, there, I, I'm not trying to play sides in the political world here. There's a great need to, to cut the national debt and to cut spending at, at the macro level. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on the potential impact of cutting immunization programs across the country during such a time of need when, when you at are fighting to, to expand those sorts of programs by as much as $140 million. It's a concern uh, for someone um, as myself working in the field of public health where we know that prevention is really the focus uh, where you, you get the best value for your investment. The cost effectiveness of uh, vaccines in particular as quoted by the World Bank back in a 1993 World Bank report, are, they are the most effective interventions we have um, that medical science has to offer. So rather than overlook the value of prevention, uh, what happens uh, is that you'll be confronted 
with infectious diseases that could have been prevented, whether it be diphtheria, measles, polio, that are they're very costly to treat um, and lead to complications requiring enormous financial and human resources uh, in terms of the stress on the healthcare system. So for a few dollars to fully vaccinate your child, uh, the old axiom that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound and cure is certainly true. So yes, there's a need I see in the U.S. to have better fiscal uh, management, but you really want to target those areas where your reductions uh, should be and not target proven cost-effective strategies that, if cut, will come back to haunt you and actually cost you more in terms of your budget. So I think that's the bottom line. Sure. And I think that long-term perspective is is really important and, and really one of the major reasons why vaccination programs were instituted in the first place to obviously prevent disease, but also do so in a way that's the most cost effective. And I think the majority of opposition across the country, that's kind of their their rallying cry against those cuts is the fact that these short-term savings pale in comparison to the potential long-term cost of, of doing away with many of these vaccinations. Interestingly enough, uh, one, one of the main examples used uh, right here in the United States of a disease that may be coming back is right in your home state of California. There have been a number of different cases of pertussis or whooping cough, uh, a disease that really hadn't uh, shown its ugly head in the United States in quite some time, but has begun to show many more cases in California, uh, a problem which would probably only be exacerbated by decreasing vaccinations in that state. You're exactly right. And it, and it is a disease that people forget about because you haven't seen it either as a medical student or a provider or a mother or a father or a community leader because uh, immunization has been so successful. So when you cut back and these diseases come roaring back, you know, we'll be acutely reminded of uh, the case fatality rates and the and the uh, outbreaks that will cause several deaths, and uh, uh, totally preventable, totally preventable. Now, with regards to battles, and in particular from my experience in immunization and why I like it so much and why I actually love it, is that it reminds me of a favorite quote from Jonathan Kozol, where he says, pick battles big enough to matter, small enough to win. And that's certainly the case in immunization, where you can show the power of prevention coupled with a technology that will lead to the eradication of disease. Really pretty amazing stuff. So obviously a, a significant challenge and, and battle, if you will, on our, on our hands as public health officials, uh, future physicians, uh, in terms of not only maintaining the level of immunization that we have currently, but, but improving upon it. Going back to an area that, that Pajo, under Pajo's jurisdiction, uh, recently President Obama uh, returned from his first tour of Central and, and South America since taking office in 2009. Uh, what are some of the main public health challenges currently facing his three primary stops, that being Brazil, Chile, and, and El Salvador, as you mentioned before? Uh, yes, and uh, I understand it was a, a highly successful uh, trip. Each of those countries have a unique set of uh, problems and, and challenges. With that background, we were able to line up in, in Rio de Janeiro an activity where a, one of the clinic sites in Rio was working on childhood obesity. Now, childhood obesity is a growing problem.
problem in virtually every country in the hemisphere. It's not limited to just affluent countries. We're seeing it in the poorest countries, particularly with the urbanization movement where families will move to urban environments where energy expenditure is less, sedentary life is uh, perhaps increased, and exposure to less healthy foods contributes to the development of childhood obesity. I mention this as a concern because this is the entry point to all non-communicable or all chronic diseases, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of the chronic diseases that we see are the big killers. And those chronic diseases include stroke, heart disease, diabetes, cancer even. So that's why uh, Mrs. Obama has been uh, working on childhood obesity. It's a great entry point because it's all about prevention. And uh, that's been her passion. So we were able to link this clinic with the team. Uh, uh, the clinic director was able to uh, discuss their program with the Obama team that was, was visiting Rio, and I understand it went very well. And it's interesting in the work you do, uh, regardless of the country, and I'll, ch- I'll pick the U.S. Uh, as a primary care physician in my former life, I'm finding that many of the challenges we face in the rural community that I worked in are similar to those challenges faced in El Salvador or Brazil or other parts of Latin America. So there's a lot of opportunity to exchange experiences, exchange lessons learned. That doesn't mean that every lesson will be applicable to another community, but there'll be elements of that experience that certainly you can think and uh, may contribute to what you're trying to do in your own community. So, John, when we're talking about the, the, the impact of what local communities can do and how they fit in this global context, and one of my favorite quotes is by E.O. Wilson, civilization is organized kindness. It's a simple yet very powerful quote that highlights what we do locally is very important, but the reverse is true. What we do globally, thinking globally, think, uh, acting locally, but the reverse of that in the context that we're citizens of the world and we can have such an amazing impact if we get it right. So I think that was the sort of the flavor and the commitment behind um, our coordinating and I hope that that will contribute to the work of the First Lady here in the U.S., uh, that experience. So I think overall the trip I heard was well, went well, and uh, in the area of health where we were able to help them with this activity, uh, I think it went well, too. We'd like this to grow because we're looking at the World Summit on Non-Communicable Diseases in September in New York City. And this is important because for the first time in history, non-communicable diseases are killing more people than infectious diseases. That's not to say we're going to turn our eye on infectious diseases or immunization or those kinds of things, but we do need to pay attention to this growing epidemic of non-communicable diseases such as diabetes, such as heart disease, that can be prevented with time-tested interventions. Salt reduction, exercise, uh, simple things that work and that are highly cost-effective. The challenge is changing behavior, a low-hanging fruit that uh, we often forget to mention, you can actually save more lives more quickly if you do something about tobacco, particularly in developing countries. 
So this event in New York City is very exciting. It's the second time the United Nations has come together for a health initiative. The first one was back in, I believe it was 2000 or 2002 on AIDS. And the impact that had was tremendous because shortly thereafter it helped mobilize the political commitment to get the antiretroviral treatments going. Before then, that was a virtual impossibility because of the cost and so on. And uh, But it became a vital tool to make these antiretroviral medications available to the poorest of the poor. And for all those out there who have uh, our regular listeners and have tuned in for our ongoing segment on healthcare reform and, and the new healthcare law and the integral role that cost reduction plays in the success of any reform or, or new law that we pass regarding healthcare right here in the United States, uh, it's obvious that it's that it's an issue that affects the world. That cost reduction is something that's necessary across health systems and, and different cultures and different societies. Well, and it, it's certainly so great to hear that that such great strides are being taken um, on a, on a world scale, but led, quite frankly, right here in the United States and and from the United Nations, uh, that there's a concerted effort uh, around the world to to battle these communicable diseases, like we were talking about at the beginning of the interview, but also to to address. Um, kind of what's been maybe an elephant in the room, at least in the United States, health-wise in terms of obesity, um, diabetes, uh, heart disease, which have become the main killers, uh, which maybe a lot of people don't realize. So uh, while there are many challenges, it's just encouraging to hear that so many influential people are will be getting together uh, very shortly to address such important issues. I agree. It's exciting. And you think about the healthcare cost implications. It's the tsunami uh, virtual of, 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 of healthcare financing in the future. And if we can prevent it to the extent we can prevent it, the cost savings will be enormous. Well, you've certainly come a long way since your days in, in the rural Salinas Valley. And we just appreciate so much you being here in Dayton to share with us your story and your expertise. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you, John. And good luck with your work here. Thanks again to Dr. John Andrews for joining us again on Radio Rounds and giving us another update for what's going on on a global level with treating disease. So, Lakshman, now that you've had the opportunity to complete a family medicine rotation and currently you're on a pediatrics rotation, uh, can you kind of comment on your experience in the wards uh, on the emphasis that's put on immunizations in young people? Sure. Well, you know, both family medicine and pediatrics, especially pediatrics outpatient, which I just finished, are you know, bread and butter primary care medicine, where the focus is on prevention of disease, especially evident in my last month just now in pediatrics, seeing outpatient pediatrics patients come in for well child checks. And there's a a very crystal clear vaccine schedule and ways to catch up, you know, kids on vaccines that have missed them. A lot of emphasis is placed on it. And that's because pediatricians and all the nurses and the, te- the medical team that works with these kids knows the importance of getting this immunity into the society. And it's an interesting dynamic between immunizing a single child and shielding the whole society. And that sort of herd immunity that's so important to really the safety of a society. And we see that, as we talked about, we see that waning in, in cases, for example, in California, where whooping cough or pertussis is coming back because of that lack of funding for vaccination programs, as well as, of course, the ignorance. And I've seen a lot of that ignorance myself in family medicine and pediatrics, where mothers come in and say, you know, I'm not sure if I want this vaccine. I'm not sure about vaccines. And it's very difficult for for doctors to really be able to engage that without getting frustrated. 
Because, you know, here's a pediatrician who has been through four years of medical school, three years of residency, and many years of practice, who's now seeing a mother who maybe caught something on the internet or saw something on TV, and that is having equal weight to all that education and all that training and all that experience that this pediatrician has had. So it's really difficult. It's really frustrating to try and engage these families and say, you know what, I understand you have concerns. There are possible side effects to any treatment we offer, but this is something that is so powerful, and it's really one of the best treatments we can offer in all of medicine. It's so incredibly protective. It's a, it's a fascinating part and often a very difficult part of outpatient medicine. Uh, to us, the, the evidence behind the efficacy of immunizations is clear. We've had so many years of training. We've read the scientific studies. But by and large, our patients haven't read those same scientific studies and, and quite frankly, aren't even interested in reading scientific papers. So it's up to us to be able to explain to them and combat some of the cynicism or negativity that they hear in the mainstream media and that they're exposed to every single day. I'm sure it's a great challenge to deal with patients who uh, subscribe or put a lot of emphasis on uh, mainstream public media. I heard this, therefore I believe it. I don't want my kids to get vaccinated. And it would be easy to get frustrated as a physician. Who knows? Scientific studies have proven over and over and over again the efficacy of these treatments. Sometimes we just have to take a step back, count to 10, cool down a little bit, uh, and really focus on the most important thing, and that's communicating effectively our message to our patients. These parents are, they care about their kids. And when's the last time they saw, you know, measles or pertussis or something? Right. It's something that's very, it's in the history books. But the problem is that it's still out there. And so it's difficult because these parents are, are worried. They're hearing things about, you know, autism and all this stuff. And they're, they're so worried. And from medicine, we're coming from almost a numbers perspective where we're saying, first of all, that that's not true about autism. Second, there's always a chance of some kind of side effect. But the chances that you will get the disease and in, and in fact possibly die from it that the vaccine is trying to prevent is much higher than the chance of you getting some of these minuscule side effects. But it's very difficult to translate those numbers and those scientific studies into a medium that patients can really engage with and understand, especially in such a short visit. Well, when you ask the rhetorical question, when is the last time that these parents have seen measles or pertussis or whatever the case may be, it's probably been a while because those diseases have been effectively control been controlled by vaccinations, uh, which leads us to our next point about possible federal spending cuts in immunization programs. I'm sure everybody out there has heard the news in the last couple of months regarding the debt deal, curbing spending in so many different ways, cutting costs. It's fiscally responsible, and that makes sense. But at the end of the day, one of those items on the chopping block is immunization programs across the country to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. And that last time that those parents may have seen pertussis or whooping cough may be last week, if we're not careful, especially mm -hmm. in California. We hadn't seen whooping cough in the United States in a long time, and it's starting to come back. California's budget issues preceded a lot of our national budget issues, and they had to make some tough decisions. And I mentioned tens of millions of dollars on the cutting block right now. The fact of the matter is we've saved hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even on the scope of billions of dollars uh, in treatment costs by diseases that have never happened because of these immunization programs. So I think that's important to keep in mind. We may save short term, but at the end of the day, uh, those long-term costs, the hundreds of millions of dollars in treatment costs of increased disease processes are really only going to add to our health care costs. And for something that accounts for 17 18% of our gross national product in health care, that's going to add a whole lot to the debt in the future.
And of course, vaccines and preventable communicable diseases or infectious diseases are a huge part of this preventative effort. But I don't want to neglect another big part of today's topic, which is non-communicable chronic diseases. So I'm talking about diseases that aren't necessarily transmitted from person to person, but that are becoming an epidemic of themselves. For example, diabetes. These kind of chronic problems that develop over time that we can prevent and then we can also monitor and treat effectively. There's many stages to treating them. And, and like with most diseases, the earlier you catch them, the earlier you treat them, or ideally prevent them, the cheaper it is. That treatment process, giving a young child an immunization, is a tried and true method of treatment. We know it works. It's just a matter of getting the public and our patients to buy in. These non-communicable diseases, diseases that you can't catch from anybody else but are somewhat in many ways self-inflicted, if not spurred on by certain genetic characteristics of individuals, uh, the treatment paradigm is completely shifted. It's lifelong treatment. It's not a one-time shot and you're never going to get that disease ever again. In terms of the treatment paradigm for these non-communicable diseases, it's lifestyle choices for the duration of one's existence. And as physicians, we haven't really figured out how to effectively communicate to our patients yet the treatment processes that we want to use to combat these unique diseases. And that's why it's so important that so many countries are getting together tomorrow in New York City to talk about this because we have an opportunity to create and to set in stone effective action steps to attack what has really become a tsunami of disease that's attacking the whole world, especially as an American myself, I've always considered obesity, diabetes, coronary artery disease to be first world American diseases. But it's become clear, especially in Dr. Andrus's experience, that they are diseases that are sweeping the world. In every industrialized and industrializing country, uh, these diseases are taking over. So I would encourage our listeners today to stay tuned to the news in the coming weeks. Uh, for more information on tomorrow's UN Summit on Noncommunicable Diseases, please feel free to visit its website at www.paho, that's P-A-H-O.org, backslash U-N-H-L-M. And if you really enjoyed listening to Dr. Andrus's calm, soothing voice, you just didn't feel like you got enough of him today, please feel free to check out our website. Go to the episode guide and check out episode 310. Uh, was the first time we had the wonderful opportunity to speak with Dr. Andrus here on Radio Rounds. And this week's Writing round segment is from Teresa Lee. Her piece, What Kind of Doctor Will I Be?, describes three physicians that had a profound impact on her family, treating serious conditions in her sister, mother, and father. She talks about her family's experience with each of those doctors, noting the different styles of doctoring and their means of balancing science and empathy, sometimes better than others. Writing Rounds is a place for any of our listeners and contributors to provide their own opinions about medicine today. We'll showcase those short essays every week on Radio Rounds, and they'll be published on our website, www.radiorounds.org. And next week, we'll be joined by Dr. Peter Carmel, president of the American Medical Association, as well as T.R. Eckler, the American Medical Association Medical Student Section Chair, and Abby Daniel, the Government Relations Advocacy Fellow for the same organization, all talking about medical student impact on policy and advocacy efforts in Washington, D.C. In the meantime, interact with us through our website, www.radiorounds.org, where you can listen to past episodes on demand. Podcasts of all our past episodes are also available as free downloads on iTunes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds. You can also email us, join our Facebook group, follow us on Twitter. All that information is on radiorounds.org. 
And I want to introduce Aaron Breedlove, a pre-medical student in Georgia, who is our new director of communications and social media. Very exciting. You'll notice we have much more of a presence on Twitter, and we've got our new website coming up and a new tagline, all kinds of stuff changing at RadioRounds.org. And we'd now like to take a second to thank and credit those who made today's show possible. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, sponsored by the American Medical Association, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. And Radio Rounds is proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Have questions about medical school or residency? Check out SDN Answers to view frequently asked questions or ask one of your own, available online at studentdoctor.net. And a special thanks to the rest of our staff and to all of you listening. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the Wright State University Boonshoft School of Medicine. Again, join us next week or download our podcast. For everybody here at Radio Rounds, I'm John Corker. And I'm Lakshman Swami. And one day, we'll We'll be be your doctors. doctors. Here come the Radio Welcome to Radio Rounds.